This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today's topic, the dreaded subject of tests. I hated tests growing up. They made me feel physically ill. But we aren't going to look at the types of tests I disliked so much, those given by a teacher to his or her students. We aren't even going to look at standardized tests administered across one country. Instead, today's show focuses on tests that are administered around the world. We call these types of tests international large-scale assessments. One of the most popular today is called PISA, the Program for International Student Assessment. PISA tests 15-year-olds' scholastic performance on math, science, and reading. The latest test in 2015 was administered in 72 countries. Think for a moment of how complex it must be to create, administer, and interpret PISA across 72 countries. With me today is Gustavo Fishman. In November 2016, he helped organize a symposium at Arizona State University looking at these so-called, quote, global learning metrics. You might remember a few Fresh Ed podcasts on the subject. He also has recently co-written a working paper for the Open Society Foundations on the topic, which will be released later this year. Gustavo Fishman is Professor of Educational Policy and Director of EdExchange, the Knowledge Mobilization Initiative at the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University. Gustavo Fishman, welcome to Fresh Ed. Thank you and uh, for the invitation. I'm really pleased to be sharing uh, these ideas about global learning metrics with the audience of Fresh Ed. So you and a team of people um, have been working on global learning metrics. You organized a symposium uh, last year and you've now been working on a working paper for the Open Society Foundations um, on the subject. So you have quite a lot of knowledge, I would imagine, of these global learning metrics. Um, But before we jump into that topic, I want to, in a sense, take a step back and just talk a little bit about um, international large-scale assessments. Um, What are international large-scale assessments? We hear a lot about it um, in the comparative education world, um, but for you know, people outside of that field. Um, what exactly are these these assessments? Uh, since the mid-1960s, uh, there the, are attempts to try to measure uh, in a cross-national and comparative uh, efforts uh, the state of access to education first. It was how many kids were incorporated and how many students were incorporated into the educational systems worldwide. And later it was access plus learning. So those international comparative assessments of access into education and access into what type of learning education are broadly categorized as international large scale assessments. Right. So, I, I mean, I get the, when we think about access to education, that seems like a fairly um, 
straightforward measurement, right? Like if someone is in school, then that counts as access. Um, learning seems like it would be a lot harder to measure. <laughs> and yes, that's the answer. Education in yeah, is a local phenomenon uh, and the different ways of learning, the different emphasis of national curriculums uh, and local curriculums, the different styles uh, that characterize you know, national systems of education uh, are really difficult to measure. And so for the last 40 years, uh, we are dealing in trying to improve uh, the measures and the metrics uh, to try to understand and to see to what extent it is possible to make comparisons about you know, the health uh, <laughs> and the depth of educational systems. So what sort of ways have these large-scale scale assessments uh, attempted to measure learning? Um, the first ones were looking uh, and, and so there is a large number of those measures uh, that look at language skills and math. Uh, then the area of uh, sciences. But there are also studies that look at um, citizenship. There are studies that look at um, you know, creativity, if you want. But um, most of them, and particularly the, the ones that uh, um, are becoming more and more popular in the media, uh, such as PISA, look at outcomes around issues of language math and sciences and are these seen as the you know most important subjects or are they just simply the ones that are easiest to measure both uh, on the one hand uh, language reading writing uh, and math are foundational so they are very important to assess the level of you know mastery of those skills uh, at the same time, uh, those are ones that we assume that most countries are uh, emphasizing uh, and giving priority. Um, so in that sense, it will be easier to make comparisons and to try to establish uh, the validity of the measures used to try to establish to what extent, yes, it's the students in Finland or the students in Zambia uh, are learning similar content and acquiring more or less the same skills in mastering those areas. And, and this is all done at the national level, so meaning that we, with this data we can compare how nations do on some sort of learning metric. But w can we get further down into, say, you know, states or provinces or even individual schools? Yes, you can, uh, depending on the different studies, you are going to have different levels of aggregation. Uh, at the individual school, uh, probably you will not, uh, um, you have all these issues of confidentiality to, to consider. Uh, but yes, uh, you can disaggregate the data in with PISA, you can see uh, by states, uh, by regions, 
in, in many of those studies, you, you can look at the different regions within the country. So different countries will have, uh, will use, you know, either the national aggregate data or look at the smaller units. What are the different tests that exist on the international level? So you've mentioned PISA, the Program for International Student Assessment, which is run by the OECD, but are there other um, tests that are administered cross-nationally? There is a long list. <laughs> I'm going to read the names of a few of them. So you have the World Education Indicators Survey of Primary Schools, the International Association for the Evaluation of Educational Achie Achievement, the Progress in International Reading Literacy Study, PEARLS, the Trends in International Mathematics and Science Study, TIMS, that's another one that is very famous, uh, the International Civic and Citizenship Education, and then you have regional um, uh, assessments. So in Latin America, you have the Latin American Laboratory for Assessment of Quality in Education. In Africa, you have the Southern and Eastern Africa Consortium for Monitoring Educational Quality. In India, you have the Annual Status of Education Report Survey. Um, so, and you have the Early Grade Mathematics Assessment, Reading Early Grade reading assessments, there are now uh, a new PISA uh, study that is PISA for the development world. Uh, there are studies that are looking um, uh, at uh, early childhood education. So uh, I'm sure that I'm not mentioning all of them uh, or all of the most important, but these are ones that uh, are you know, popular, well-known, and they're mentioned in media. What countries are involved? Like, the, are these examinations reaching across the world into most countries, or is it a subset of countries? And, and relatedly, how many do multiple countries, does a country take multiple exams, participate in multiple international assessments? Yes. Uh, the, the countries that uh, participate in OECD, you know, they could be involved in three or four of these studies. In the 1960s, there was only one of these studies and, you know, uh, with five or six countries. Uh, today, more than 90 countries are participating in several of these studies. And some of these studies, uh, you know, are taken every four years, others every three years, over every six years. So one of the consequences of uh, these studies uh, in addition to providing more or less rigorous and interesting and controversial <laughs> information about uh, education at the global level, they also created an industry, an industry on evaluation and a group of experts that didn't exist uh, 30 years ago. So today, this is an industry, it's, a, it's involving um, offices for research and evaluation that mm, 30 years ago or 20 years ago in some in Latin America uh, in, in the last 15 years 
most countries started to have these offices looking at this data and so mm, and trying to participate and the curve showing the increase of the number of countries uh, participating in these studies keeps growing. Although there is also now, a, a s due to the controversial nature of these studies, um, there are some countries uh, arguing about the benefits or that, you know, trying to opt out of the, the countries. Not all countries, you know, stay forever in these uh, measurements. So before we jump into these, um, this controversy that some of these tests have created in, in different national contexts, I just want to ask a little bit about this idea of the industry that these large-scale international assessments has kind of created uh, over the last 40 years. Um, how does the money work? Where, you know, if it's an industry, where is the money coming from? Who is making money off of these, um, these tests? If you want to participate in the in any of these tests, uh, the country has to pay for the test. Uh, some of these tests are uh, quite affordable, or they are administered uh, for free. Uh, for all the for PISA, you have to pay. Uh, for PERS, uh, I also think that you have to pay. So um, it is a, a debate. Uh, it is part of the, the debate about how beneficial these uh, examinations are or not. Uh, but there is a cost involved in developing. You know, th these are very complicated studies. This is not an easy endeavor. Uh, so I'm, I'm using industry for the size, not in a pejorative way. I'm, I'm not. Uh, um, now, it's not, you know, I'm not trying to diminish uh, the level of expertise and well intentions of uh, the great majority of people working here, but as a phenomenon, it's, uh, the accountability, the model of educational accountability uh, at the level and scale that we are seeing today uh, is a relatively new phenomenon. Uh, if there is something that is important to recognize is that today we can make comparisons, appropriate and inappropriate comparisons, uh, because we have these instruments and we have this data. And 25 years ago, we didn't have that. So we couldn't make those comparisons. And it's, it's very difficult to administer this type of uh, examinations, it's also very difficult to interpret and to interpret appropriately uh, these examinations. You know, there are issues of validity, reliability of these tests. This is really uh, complex. That is why you know, the industry needed to develop uh, a large group of experts um, studying these issues. Uh, the, there was no literature on these topics 30 years ago. Today is a very large literature. So what are what are some of the benefits that you know people that have participated in this this very large industry as experts or participants of these tests what are some of the perceived benefits of participating in cross national assessments and 
perhaps the you know the perceived benefit of the ability to compare uh, the the simple answer for that is uh, allow the different governments and the different societies to have access to data that will allow them to make decisions based on data uh, about the well-being of their educational systems and you know that's the the, the theory of action uh, if you know how well or not your system is uh, doing and performing you can make policy changes uh, and you can allocate resources in more uh, efficient way and more effective way uh, or more equitable yeah so depending on the the orientation of, of the governments and the stakeholders that's the basic idea that we need to know uh, and these international comparisons are a good way of accessing to otherwise very difficult information so are there examples that are typically used to as like success stories of how a country has used cross-national data to make data-informed decisions that improved their system of education? Well, the, 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 the one example that is mentioned in the literature uh, quite often is the famous PISA shock of the German uh, case when, you know, they were released the results of the first PISA studies in the 90s. Uh, Germany was shocked by not seeing their system performing uh, at the top level or at the, to having a better performance than what they did. So based on that shock, uh, the society and the government of Germany uh, examined different alternatives and changed the um, change curriculum and change uh, practices. Uh, the United States in, you know, is constantly having in the newspapers and the media and in every single policy discussion uh, a debate about you know, how to regain the primary spot as an educated society and, and they use uh, the information of PISA, you know, to inform uh, or to increase the level of accountability and the use of testing to make high-stakes decisions. Uh, the industry around Finland as the top-performing country or people, you know, talking about the Singaporean educational model. So, uh, yes, we, <laughs> we have plenty of countries that, uh, you know, are relying on, on on the information derived from these studies to uh, make decisions. Uh, sometimes sure. in, in in ways that are surprising, but uh, such as well, um, the creators of these uh, assessments in general uh, are very cautious, and they never. Or, you know, they don't say use the data of the test to you know, change your policy uh, because they, they know that some of the comparisons are impossible uh, in the way mm, mm, the, the countries 
Are interpreting the data is always informed by the internal, the national policies. Uh, so, mm, this one thing is the creators of the <laughs> the assessments and how they use the data, and the, I think it's very different from what the different countries are using. Um, that's one thing. I, I'm yeah. I want to be careful there, not uh, making you know, gross accusations here. Independently of that, um, the cycle that uh, a government pays attention is not the same cycle as the test is administered. And so we, we need to put the data in the policy context of each country. What I'm trying to say is this. The countries that have good performance and have very different policies, and countries that have very low performance in the test, and they have also very different policies or the same policies, there is no causality between good results and a set of policies or bad results and a set of policies. You have a very mixed situation. Uh, or by regions, you know, Finland outperforms. Um, the, the one classic uh, comparison is between Finland, Sweden, Cuba, Chile, and the U.S. and Canada. Yes, uh, you should say, oh, okay, all these countries they should align and start having more or less the same policies, and no, they they have <laughs> very different policies in. You know, Sweden, the U.S., and Chile, uh, for a long period of time, they increase accountability, uh, choice, and you know, uh, um, increase process of privatization. Uh, and you don't see an improvement, supposedly based on the results of the assessment, and you don't see an improvement in educational performance in those countries uh, compared to the other three countries that increase, you know, public presence, teacher. Uh, training uh, and you know different types of curriculum, and they got better results. But you know, we have everybody says the same. We have to be very cautious about making gross comparisons. Uh, the problem is that you open the newspapers of every country after the the PISA or the teams or the PERS results are there, and the comparisons, you know, very inappropriate, appear in, always in the front page. And it's usually in like some very simple table. Yes, yes, no, it's it's always you know, my country is doing better or worse than your country. It's like, uh, and blame just. It seems that the, um, uh, in the paper that we work with, you know, use the idea that maybe these are very good assessments uh, in search for a good problem to solve, but the problem that should be solving uh, is not there. Uh, so it's a it's a complicated situation. Um, there, there, we know how important our cultural social, political, economical conditions uh, in relationship to the you know, performance of any student or the achievement of any student in any school. Um, so if you look at these assessments without considering all these uh, other contextual elements, 
uh, we we have problems, uh, and these international assessments always involve translations, and trans we know that translations are also very problematic, and uh, and you know chance lags, uh, things that may happen in a country uh, in that particular year that will affect performance, and and if we don't consider those elements, uh, our understanding of those results could be very simplistic. I think that this is, this is a condition that is affecting uh, education in general, not just the use of these assessments. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems like there is this hope that education is just some sort of technical issue that, you know, if we get the right policy and if we get the right teacher education training, then the students are going to, you know, have more knowledge and then that knowledge is going to translate somehow into a better society. And, and it's often seen as this technical problem, but it sometimes forgets how messy education can be politically and how many, how there's so many different interests at play um, inside the education systems. And I would imagine that complexity gets compounded when you are trying to compare countries around the world. Yeah, for you know, our analysis of, of the data and the literature on these topics um, you know, shows that on the one hand, everybody asks for let's be cautious, let's make you know, careful assessment of this. And <laughs> had the interpretations at the you know, more popular or less specialized uh, literature is you know completely ignoring those calls to be cautious. Uh, and you know, the, if you think about the case of the the states, uh, the United States, um, the increase of uh, assessments and models of high stakes testing for accountability has increased tremendously in the last 35 years. And so you should, you know, based on this model of action, you should see uh, a better performance uh, because now we have more data and we have more assessments. And if you do well in the test, then you will be motivated to continue to do well. And if you don't do well, then you know what you are not doing well and you should be motivated. Uh, well, we have 35 years of data that says, well, no, it's not working. Uh, but we keep increasing <laughs> the demands. Uh, and so the shift, if you want, one, one of the, the elements that is happening there is that the, there was a shift from assessing what the students uh, learn were the students first? Were the students at school? Yes. So now that they're at school, what are they learning? That's one uh, component. And now there is more, there's a movement, if you want, to transfer the what the students are learning to what the teachers are teaching and what's the value added uh, of each individual teacher to the learning of the students. And for everybody that is was in a school teaching something, you know that uh, the learning depends on many, 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 many factors, and teachers are important, but they don't account 
for you know everything. You know, some people will say it's twenty percent, others will say thirty percent. But you know, it's definitely not the dominant factor. It is important, yes, uh, but it's not the exclusive factor that will explain learning in the students. So uh, again, this is yeah, I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm seeing this uh, development uh, with a lot of concern, uh, not because the assessments are per se or in themselves negative, we shouldn't assess. No, no, assessing this is good, but the way we are using them in the middle of uh, very controversial policy agendas um, you know, is, is really complicated. So we need, if you want, we need to have a, a more literacy, more uh, debates about what are the appropriate and what are the inappropriate uses of these assessments. Uh, there's one thing, um, uh, you know, it seems very clear in, in the data, is that we will continue to use international large-scale assessments and global learning metrics for the foreseeable future. Uh, so it's not a phenomenon that will disappear. Um, so we need to use them in the best possible way uh, and preventing you know, excesses in, in poor interpretations or simplistic interpretations just to advance different policy agendas. Do you, what, do you have recommendations for you know, how these large-scale international assessments can be used in a more appropriate way than maybe they have been in the past? Recommendations. The recommendations will be uh, to uh, work, and I'm, I'm not criticizing the agencies that are already doing this as they are not doing enough. Uh, they, they are doing, every time there is a release of a new report, you see the organizations uh, you know, sending policy briefs, uh, explanations, uh, long you know, documents with lots of footnotes about how not to you know, say inappropriate things about this, but then the translation of that to the headlines of a newspaper is completely different. Um, but a lot more education on how to use them, uh, that's for sure. Um, better preparation in terms of what are the different responsibilities of uh, you know who, who is benefiting from this uh, teachers have to administer uh, in many cases these assessments and you know they are forced in many cases to teach things that they don't consider you know they're relevant for them they they get their curriculum displaced by these things um, and, and I think that we need to have a better situation. On the other hand, uh, we know that the farther from the instruction these assessments are happening, the less useful are for the teachers and for the students to learn. So, do we need all these <laughs> international, it's like, do we need all of them? Uh, seriously, these are costing money uh, why uh, we, we need to have a discussion about uh, how culturally relevant 
and appropriate this test are. Uh, what's the the level of you know sophistication that uh, we need to put in measuring mathematics? Why couldn't we also look for creativity, or you know th there is uh, citizenship and engagement, but. If all these tests are forcing or in forcing, they're not forcing, they're incentivizing or motivating to basically focus on language and math, uh, then there are other areas of curriculum and education that are going to be neglected. Uh, and we see that movement. Lots of our colleagues in the field of international and comparative education, they always say, well, you know, at the global level, those are the areas that are priority, and we should focus on that. And I, I understand that, but, um, but I'm also very concerned with the, uh, using schools in such utilitarian way and, and neglecting uh, other areas that are very important. Uh, and and we see this, you know, happening in many parts. Yeah, and, and I I always think about the student in in school having to take how many tests are these students now taking? They're taking their national exams and whatever that entails. And each nation probably has a different system. And then this battery of international exams. I mean, I hated tests when I was in school. I used to kind of I would play hooky. I would skip days when I knew I had to take a test because I was I'd get so nervous, and I I just can't imagine what it would be like to be a student now and having to take so many examinations. And and on top of that, you have the the issue that increased pressure by the ministries of education and secretaries of education to show high performance. And no, nobody wants to show you know, lower performance. And we know that the more emphasis you put in the highest performance, uh, the chances of increase the tendency and possibilities of corruption and cheating, <laughs> direct cheating, increases. Uh, again, you know, we have in the United States you know, people that are in jail for cheating on those tests, you know, in the case of Atlanta, and and lots of, you know, uh, incentives to perform well that uh, are creating problems, and, and at the end, you don't know how, what are you assessing. Uh, Dr. David Berliner, from a colleague at ASU, uh, was sharing with us the, the other day in the analysis of PISA, uh, he, you know, was showing how the, you know, everybody com is complaining that the United States is number 24 or 34 in, in PISA and uh, how poorly we are doing. But when you disaggregate the data by, you know, percentage of students receiving uh, free lunch uh, as an indicator of poverty, that the Asian American students outperform the Asian students. And so he, he was saying, it's like, well, you know, our Asians beat the other Asians. Uh, <laughs> or, you know, if you take Massachusetts alone, you know, instead of the whole country, uh, Massachusetts performs as the second or the third best performer in education. So 
this is another problem. You have this when you took when you are taking the country as a whole, you mask the differences within each country. And, and you know, this is another issue that is of you know, concern uh, with countries that are multi-ethnic, uh, that are plurilingual, and that they are uh, with very diverse populations. Uh, to what extent these large-scale assessments are forcing you know to make more homogeneous curriculum to ignore linguistic diversities to ignore ethnic and racial diversity so schools are a very complicated organization and they have local cultures that are important relevant and we need to honor we shouldn't ignore them uh, when you start looking at these issues at the global level, uh, those seem to be minor details. Mm. Uh, it's just, it is so fascinating to think how, how complex it is to manage a school system locally, but also nationally. And now we're adding in these kind of international players like the OECD and the IEA and all sorts of other agencies that are administering these large-scale international assessments and the the power relationships are getting so well there it's it's new in many ways and these government ministry officials have to balance so many competing interests um, and ultimately you know the schools experience all sorts of consequences as a result yeah and and add to that that somebody's producing the test and charging money for that, and somebody else is going to produce the curriculum that will be better aligned to those states that is also producing money, and that there are different policies, agendas that are you know, part of, of uh, encouraging the use of this test and also producing different effects. So um, I'm not saying that because you administer a test, uh, immediately you are aligned with one policy or another. Uh, that's exactly what we couldn't find, that uh, within <laughs> uh, the whole, you know, within a same region, you are going to have countries that are going to adopt completely different policies with very similar results. So you, you cannot see causality there, but uh, that there is an alignment and, and that there are some uh, forces pushing for one particular model of reform that increases accountability, uh, particularly blaming teachers and, and uh, you know, it's kind of the easy target. Uh, if, if the schools are not doing well, well, it must be the teachers. Um, and I don't think that, you know, that's a, a, a fair explanation. Right. Well, I mean, it is a fascinating topic. It seems like it's going to be going for the foreseeable future. Um, so we look forward to more of your writings on the subject, because uh, it seems like there's so many different areas to explore. Um, but Gustavo Fishman, it was really great to talk today. Thanks so much for joining Fresh Ed. Thank you. Gustavo Fishman is professor of educational policy at the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University. 
his forthcoming Open Society Foundation working paper, co-written with Amelia Topper and Yvette Solova, with collaboration from Jessica Holloway and Jana Goebel, is entitled An Examination of the Influence of International Large-Scale Assessments and Global Learning Metrics on National School Reform Policies. It will be published later this year, so be sure to check back at freshedpodcast.com to find the link. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed. If you like what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes. It helps. Fresh Ed is made possible through listener donations. Please consider becoming a member of Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com support. Fresh Ed's producers are Sherry Yang, Yuval Devere, and Hong Zung. Aggie Hu is Fresh Ed's social media coordinator, and original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>